Hey, working moms. Hey, working dads. Hey, aspiring working parents. And allies of working parents. Are you in search of your pillow? Does it take you 24 hours just to get out the door in the morning? Are you the family ATM? Or the family Uber driver? Are you on a Zoom call for work while carpooling while also watching a practice? If so, welcome to our world, the Parents at Work podcast. I'm Lori. I'm Jason. We are married. And we have two wild and crazy redheaded boys. We're here to shine a light on the roller coaster ride that is working parenthood. I'm a healthcare lawyer and founder of a working parent community called Mindful Return. And I'm an executive coach with Ready, Set, Launch, LLC. I wrote a cool book called Relationships to Infinity. And I wrote a cool book called Back to Work After Baby. In this series of episodes, we're excited to interview two dads and then two moms in financial services. Today, we are delighted to introduce you to two very talented working dads, Shahed Amanullah and Rahul Buksani. Shahed is an entrepreneur, investor, and mentor for startups around the world. He serves as managing director of Frost Capital, a Palo Alto-based private equity fund manager and investment advisor that acquired Affinis Labs, an award-winning social innovation firm he co-founded. Shahed is a former senior advisor at the U.S. State Department, global VP at market research firm Frost & Sullivan, and project manager at the World Bank and International Finance Corporation. Shahed also founded Zakatify, a social impact fintech app, and Zabiha, the world's first global halal restaurant guide. He has a BS in engineering from UC Berkeley and an MBA from Georgetown University. He's also dad to two kids who are, I guess, not little kids anymore, as they are ages 18 and 21. Over to you, Jason, for our introduction to Rahul. Thanks, Lori. Thanks so much. So it's my pleasure to introduce Rahul Buksani, who's a managing director in the financial technology and services coverage group at KBW Stiefel Investment Bank. He provides capital raising and corporate finance advisory services to financial technology and climate finance companies. He has significant experience in originating, structuring, and executing capital markets and M&A transactions. Prior to joining KBW Stiefel in 2023, Rahul spent two years at JMP Securities as a managing director in the investment bank. He started his investment banking career at JP Morgan, where he spent eight years working with fintech and market structure companies in the financial institutions group. He holds an MBA from Georgetown University and a BS in economics and finance from Bentley University. He has a son, Sid, four and a half, daughter, two. My goodness, what a conversation that we're going to have. Yes, I'm so delighted to have you both with us. And I would love if we could kick off learning about your own personal working parent stories. And Rahul, if you wouldn't mind, let's start with you and the younger end of the spectrum because you're newer to working parenthood. And then we'll shift over to a later phase with Shahed. Welcome, Rahul. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me on. Great to be here. Wonderful. So if you can describe for us your own personal working parent journey, we'd love to hear the story as you would tell it. Sure. So... I am a, a little late to the parenting game than probably all of you on the podcast. I became a father at 42. That is not um, all that uncommon in our in our world. Probably not, particularly yeah. not, and and I think less uncommon in in New York City where I live. If and, I may just say, I have a philosophy that in life related things, there is no such thing as late. So welcome. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yes. So yeah, becoming a parent in your 40s versus in your 30s, it gives you sort of a different perspective 
I graduated Georgetown Business School in 2005, moved to New York, and working in finance as an associate at an investment bank, you really don't have time for much else other than work. And 80 hours a week were pretty commonplace those first couple of years. And then the longer you do it and the further you go, sort of the hours start to improve and work-life balance starts to become visible and a little bit more reasonable as you sort of move up the ladder. And so you know, started at 29, 30. And by the time I was about 35, I could actually see the possibility of having a family. It just, it was just inconceivable those first sort of five years or so. Uh, and then, you know, took a few years to meet the right person. And I, I met my now wife when we were both 40. And uh, so we're the same age. And she had a sort of similar path in her career in, in New York. And we kind of decided that we wanted to have a family and if we are going to do it we should start really quickly so we our wedding and first birth was just a you know a few months apart call it six months so we were on a somewhat of an accelerated timeline and and all of that just felt very uh fast and furious but it was great right we we just jumped in the deep end very quickly and it's been a lot of fun like we're we're enjoying it we're savoring it and we we know it's not easy to have kids in your 40s, especially for my wife, but we got very lucky. It worked out well, and we are taking nothing for granted. Love that. Thank you for sharing, Rahul. I think it's also so ironic that the peak years of intensity in so many different industries, especially professional services, are during what is considered you know, the peak childbearing years as well, which complicates things That's so many right. times. And, and thank you for sharing that story. I think as we move along in our career, we often gain more autonomy and flexibility because we're the ones making a lot of the decisions, which I think ultimately right. gives us more of that work-life balance. But gosh, it's it's hard to get to that point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so openly. Shahad, over to you. Um, can you share with us your personal working parent story? Sure. Um, it's been a challenge and I'll tell you why. Since my children were fairly young, I was a single parent for about half of their childhood. And what that meant was, you know, in the case of where you had to go to a workplace to, you know, find the daycare and things like that when they're really young. But as the kids got older and as I started to have more control of my office space, I would often bring them into work with me. And I remember my father was a civil engineer in Los Angeles County where he worked until he retired. And every now and then he would do the same with me. He would bring me into his office and I would find a little corner and entertain myself or or whatever. And those end up for me being some of the most kind of memorable parts of my childhood. And so I, I kind of took that chance with my kids as well. Even when I was at the State Department, if one of my colleagues was out for the day or or something, I would I would forego daycare and bring them in and have them just uh, you know entertain themselves there. And as they got older, what would be really interesting is that they would then start becoming curious about what it is I did for a living, you know? And so during my, my kid's childhood, I was a diplomat. I worked at the World Bank. I worked, uh, you know, and then I started my own company. And once I started my own company, it was actually uh, much easier, at least during like summer vacations when they were not in school, to bring them in all day. And they would they would see kind of a flurry of activity around me regarding entrepreneurship and investment and mentoring and things like that. And I don't expect my kids to follow in my footsteps in any way, but that kind of exposure, I think, has 
really help them integrate into society. Now, both my children are in college, and a lot of what I think they would have learned in college, they kind of figured out by, you know, by absorbing it while they were uh, coming to work with me. And this is, of course, all before COVID. And so um, particularly when you talk about things like financial services, financial services used to be this thing that was, you know, I think a very kind of opaque for a lot of people. If you weren't directly involved, you're like, oh, people do things with money and move things around and things happen. But yep, I think that's how, uh, I, know, how I've looked at it. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that what we're finding out now is, you know, especially after the Great Recession and things like that, and like going through the, the COVID era and things like stimuluses and things like, you know, all, and then looking at the stock market and a lot of things that I learned as an adult, I feel like my children have been exposed to much younger. So I think that has helped them with financial literacy, which is also something that I've always been an advocate of children learning while they're in school age, a lot more about not just personal finance, that's just the basics, but really just about economics and how the world works, because it has more of an impact now than than people think it does. Plus, ordinary people have much more of an active role in our economy than they used to have. The barriers to things like investing and crowdfunding and all this other stuff have dropped dramatically where people can be participants. And so one of the things I was really hoping my kids would do as they kind of sat and absorbed like the startup scene, you know, in um, in, in my work or the investments climate in my work is that, you know, it's not strange to them anymore. And I think that that helps give these people confidence when they go out into the world and they realize that that they have a stake in all of this. And, you know, so my youngest is probably going to go into entrepreneurship and follow in dad's footsteps. And I feel like he's gotten a really good head start. My oldest is, is probably going to go more into policy, but there as well, I mean, he can trace his interest in policy to like playing around on the floor of my, my office in the state department. And so <laughs> look, people, people know now, like with so many people working from home that the boundaries of work and, and home have like blurred but it's 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 I hope people realize that it is a big opportunity. You know, you don't have to just go into your office and shut the door all day and have them involved, have them asking questions, have them they, they can absorb a lot more than you think they can. You know, mm-hmm. and so I, I when I hear my children talking about grown up things in ways that I don't expect to come from the mouths of, of young people <laughs> is really rewarding. And I and that's part of why I felt like I kind of did it right. I didn't hide it from them. I mean, the good and the bad. I mean, I, I'll also say like there, you know, when, when you're in like the investment cycle or the startup cycle, there's ups and downs. And there was there was definitely a time where I was like living off savings for a while. And and I was I felt free to open up with the kids about that because that's life, right? You've got to understand and you've got to learn that this is going to happen. You don't freak out, you don't panic. You know, everything writes itself. If you've got the right attitude and you work hard enough and 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 you you leverage the networks that you have. That's also the most important thing. So all in all, I mm-hmm. think now that they're in college, I can kind of reflect back on it. I think the experiment went pretty well. Beautiful. I love so many things about what you just said, Shahid. I know there are a lot of organizations out there that are committed to bring your child to work day, but it sounds like you were living the bring your child to work experience. And with Jason and I both working from home, you know, we talk about our companies and our roles and all that all the time, but you're also making me think that there are other work-related things that we can bring them along to in the future that is sparking ideas for me. So thank you. For yeah, that. It's, it's, it's natural to want to shield your kids from the complexity of the world, but yeah. you know, just like kids can absorb the 10 languages if you throw it at them, I think right. they can absorb the complexity of the world and it's not going to freak them out. Yeah. Oh, I want to bring our boys over for some like economics lessons from Shahed. So we might do that. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, you know, Jason. No, it's funny when we talk about economics, you know, when I take them to the grocery store, we talk about inflation, right? And and what does inflation mean? And, you know, when you look at the different economic issues that are happening on, you know, what's uh, the price of milk, uh, the price of cereal, any of those kinds of things. And, you know, what Chad was talking about bringing your kid to the office. I mean, I remember my dad bringing me to his office. He used to work in Midtown Manhattan in the garment center. And so I remember in high school, I would go in and help out with the sample sales. So, yeah, I mean, that that's sparking a whole host of ideas. And I, and I want to bring it back to Raul. I mean, I love I love the evolution that you're talking about in terms of, you know, committing to investment banking and putting in the time and then, you know, being able to, you know, in your 40s, be able to uh, start a family and and how grateful you are for that. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to that. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, let's go back to you for a minute. How would you personally describe what it's like to be a parent in financial services these days? Um, I guess that's a broad question. Yeah. So like just for context, right? So I did not grow up in New York or even in the US. I, I grew up in Nigeria and went to boarding school in England because past a certain age in Nigeria, the schools just weren't weren't very good. So I, too, would go to my father's office with him when I was a kid. You know, as early as I kind of remember it from five or six years old and that sort of environment and in that culture, there was just kind of a whole lot more sort of flexibility and a little bit slower pace, which is kind of what I grew up around. And once I sort of left there and went to England and went to boarding school and then would go back for holidays, as the years went by, I just sort of felt less and less compelled to go back to Nigeria. And then once I went to I came to the States for college initially in Massachusetts and just sort of gravitated towards the pace of work and life that I experienced in in Boston. And then I went to work in London for a few years, for about four years in between college and business school. And then when I came back to the States for business school at Georgetown and then started looking at, at a career in New York, like I just gravitated towards that pace of life and pace of work, which I think is not uncommon when you're in your 20s, right? Which is what I was at the time in my late 20s. So now, you know, fast forward, call it, you know, 18 years uh, and going through COVID, which was very a different experience for me. I had I had one kid and, and a one-year-old. He was one and I think it was 14 months when we went into lockdown. So I didn't have as painful an experience as people with older kids than mine who had to deal with homeschooling like that wasn't an issue for us fortunately for us and so it was just about making sure he was sufficiently entertained and taken care of as as a toddler during that period and we were all at home and we had childcare which was great and then in the years since sort of lockdown has has ended and we've all gone back to the office there is this more sort of flexible approach to working in finance in New York now, right? Like there was a time, you know, in the many years I was in the industry pre-COVID where if you weren't traveling, you were in the office. There was no sort of concept of work from home. The technology existed in many ways. You could you could remote log in. And if you had to work on the weekends, that's what we would do. Like it, it evolved from having to be in the office on the weekend to you can work from home on the weekend and do your calls from home on the weekend and do work on your work laptop while remote logged in 
and kind of all of that existed. But it's only really post-COVID where this sort of notion of hybrid work and work from home in financial services has sort of become a thing. But the pressure that companies, particularly the bigger banks, put on people to be back in the office, I'm sure you've read the stories and seen the news that big big banks are tracking the badge taps mm-hmm. at the security elevators and so on. The reason that is happening is because as good as the technology is and as good as Zoom is that, that we're using now and, and other video conferencing platforms, you really can't substitute for being with your team and around your team and being able to all huddle around one screen and talk through what's wrong with this or what's right with that. And and that, that there's just so much value in that. So I, mm-hmm. I, I am in favor of flexibility, particularly as a parent, right? There are days where I do need to be working from home. And right now we're doing kindergarten applications for my son, which if any of you have experienced it in New York, it's kind of like blood sport, you know, it's, it's very it's competitive. Yes. Yeah, it's a scene, <laughs> it's competitive, it's um, it's a whole to-do. And there are tours and then there are interviews for the kids and interviews for the parents. And we, we've done one or two already. We've got some coming up. So that flexibility is critical for me because I'm going to need to do these tours. And sometimes they're at nine o'clock in the morning and they're two hours and sometimes they're in the afternoon and sometimes they're sort of closer to the end of the day. So having the ability to be a little bit flexible and work from home when I need to, or, and then be in the office when I need to. And I I like being in the office. It's great. The word of the time now is flexibility and recognizing that there's value to being in the office, but particularly working parents need to have cushion. And I, I, the firm I work at now, I've only been here four and a half months, almost five months. They're pretty good about that. I think where the lines are less blurred in investment banking is it's a very travel heavy job, right? And at, at our level, at the at the managing director level, when you're expected to be spending time with clients and originating business, you have to be on the road. And mm-hmm. I, I'm based in New York and I have a lot of clients in New York, which is great, but I also have quite a few on the West Coast and some in Florida and some in London and some in various other parts of the world, in Asia and the Middle East and so on. So when you're traveling as much as we do, you have this sort of expectation and an ability to work from anywhere. So that mm-hmm. that's where kind of the flexibility makes sense. So there's definitely two days, probably a day to two days a week where I will work from home and need to get things done at home and need to deal with either parenting responsibilities or household responsibilities. And, and then there are sort of most of the other days where I'm quite happy to be in the office. And I think that's it's really important. And particularly with, with younger kids that are um, require more hands-on parenting than older kids. In, in some mm-hmm. ways, it's it's nice to have that flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm optimistic that we can hold on to some of that um, yeah. even as we move years beyond COVID. Yeah. You referred to the lockdown and my whole body just shuddered. It was perhaps I, I the can imagine, yeah. 15 worst months of <laughs> our parenting yeah. lives because we had two elementary schoolers. But I'm glad you weren't in that position. Shahed, how about you? How would you describe what it's like to be a parent in financial services? First of all, just want to echo a lot of what Rahul said, because, you know, the increasing acceptance of the blurring of work and home, even again, even prior to COVID, was was why I could kind of push the envelope. There were even times, and it was, of course, particularly easy when I had my own company, where I would even go on trips to San Francisco and other places. And during the summer when my kids were 
at home, I would just bring them with me. You know, I just rent an Airbnb, a house, you know, somewhere where they could like go and explore by themselves. And I would do my work. I would do my business, you know, maybe being out there for a week and the kids would also explore and do things like that. And, you know, I can't imagine so cool. in, in the past, like my parents' generation, that even being possible. So, you know, I definitely think, you know, and, and of course, we're all seeing this now, once people have the opportunity to blend their work and home lives, they're very resistant to letting it go. And so, you yes. know, I, I, I have to say, I'm very thankful for the environments in which I work, that they allowed me to blend the two. And what's really even cool is that my kids would get to know the people visiting the office, the different entrepreneurs I work with, you know, uh, my colleagues and have their own relationships with them and then ask them questions about their work. Kids have a natural curiosity about things. And it's almost like they, you know, at least when I was running fitness labs, because I would have the kids would practically have their own desks at work, you know, during the summers anyway. And um, they felt like part of the team. And I realized, again, I was, I was lucky to, to, to have that opportunity. But I do hope that as, as we move forward, and I am, I'm a big believer of, of having at least some time back in the office, I don't think it's healthy to be completely separated from your colleagues, to continue as much as we can, you know, taking that bring your son or daughter to work day and expanding the envelope of what that means, I think is going to be good from in multiple ways. My youngest son even found an internship opportunity by coming into my office and seeing, you know, seeing people there who are working on different things. It's like, I'm a coder. I can help, you know? So, <laughs> Very cool. So you never yeah. know. You never know what will happen. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Shahed. over to you, Jason. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Shahed. I want to stay with you. And when we do this podcast and we talk with moms and dads in different sectors, clearly, there's this notion that you cannot do this alone, that there is a broader set of need and support that needs to take place to help you along in this journey. And, you know, it's something that, uh, and I'm so glad we're doing it. I hadn't really thought about, you know, when you think about uh, where you are in your investment life cycle, what does the organization do for you uh, in terms of like your own support? And, I, and I'm curious, uh, Shahed, were there any workplace supports that you had as a working parent when you became a working parent that uh, you found helpful? Well, I think the most important thing for me is that my colleagues, the people I chose to work with, the people I chose to office with, shared this viewpoint. And, and not everyone did. I mean, there, one of my employees uh, had a kind of breakdown in um, in her childcare and, and wanted to bring her daughter in. And it was totally fine with all of us for a little bit of time. But as it stretched on longer than that, you do have to balance it. You know, like you do have to make sure that it's not, you know, as long as it's not disruptive to the work environment, that's fine. And so for older kids that can kind of keep to themselves, it's one thing. But for younger kids that are kind of running around and interrupting meetings and things like that, it's not. You have to find that balance and, you know, make sure that your colleagues are all on board, make sure that you've got the, the space to do it. But so when it works, it works great. But, you know, you, you, you can't just pretend like, hey, everybody, bring all your kids in. It's all going to be great. Um, it doesn't always work that way. So so it just, it's just something you have to put thought into. And then again, as, as someone who was running my own business, it was easy for me to kind of make space for that. But that's not going to be the case everywhere. And I think for the people who were working from home and 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 blending their home and work lives having to kind of make harder decisions now to separate the two, it's going to be a little difficult. And I know I know friends of mine are making career choice decisions based on whether they can continue that or not. People, I mean, I'm sure you've all heard, like your people are deciding that the quality of my life is 
my primary kind of goal. It's not just about how much money I can make or even the direction of my career. I hear you, Shahed, and it's one of those things where it's wonderful that you've been in situations where it's an accepting culture and to have that openness that uh, people are allowing for that. Raul, uh, what has been your experience? It's interesting and it's it's very varied because I've worked at five different firms, five different investment banks. So one bulge bracket, large cap, um, JP Morgan, one big four, Ernst & Young, and then three firms kind of more in the, in the middle market, mid-tier. And I'd say, depending on the type of firm within financial services you work for, policies vary. And the, the big firms, the JP Morgans and the EYs have very good sort of structure and so kind of formal programs, right? For both maternity leave and paternity leave. But when I started 18 years ago at JP Morgan, they didn't, it was definitely very structured and well-established for maternity leave, but there really wasn't a paternity leave policy. And I obviously didn't go through parenthood at that time, but I had colleagues and friends at work who did. And for mothers, there was a very well-planned and structured sort of maternity policy. For fathers, there really wasn't one. And it was almost the expectation that, yeah, fine, you take a week, maybe 10 days, but depending on your level, you could manage it accordingly. But I, I know younger people who were associates and analysts having kids back then, and within a day or two, they were back in the office. And that was kind of the expectation. So it wasn't, wow. I don't think it was as thoughtful as it is now. I think now there is a much more standardized, structured sort of parental, broader parental leave policy um, than there was back then for fathers in particular. Do you feel like people are feeling empowered to take the time? I know that there are policies, but then there's also the culture. Yeah, what I'm seeing and just anecdotally, I think, yes, they are, but maybe not the entire time that they have available to them. And, and honestly, what, mm -hmm. what drove it was the tech sector. Like the tech sector started doing it. And so the financial services sector followed. And my sure. wife worked for a tech company for for both of our kids, and she had pretty good parental leave policies. I think it was you could do three months at full pay plus another three months at half pay or sort of combine it in some way. And so she would do sort of four and a half months of full pay. Right. And they made that the same policy for, for fathers as well. So, you know, her boss, who was running the entire North American business when he had his kids and he has three kids, he was able to take that same length of time as my wife did. And he did it and they put the right structures in place so that business continuity could occur. And that was, you know, the first kid was slightly older than mine. So call it five years ago, five and a half mm -hmm. years ago. And once the tech companies started doing that and, and it was it's pretty broad across the tech sector, the banks kind of had to follow because they were losing talent otherwise. Part of it is for, for retention purposes. And if you're if there's a meaningful gap in your yes. policies versus what the tech sector is doing, you're going to lose even more people to the tech sector. Or, or forget about losing people. It's going to be just harder to recruit people. In the first the, place. In yeah. the first place. So when I asked my wife, my wife's company happened to be London-based company. And... The UK and Europe have far more progressive and parent-friendly parental leave policies than the US does. It's just a fact. It's federally not, driven. Not hard to beat out the US on the global yeah, not, stage when it comes not. to this like, stuff, yes. So I, I asked him, like, is your policy as, as good and strong as it is because it's kind of aligned with what they do for the employees in the UK? She, she told me, she said, no, I thought that too. And when I looked into it, 
and talk to HR, she said it's because it's really hard to compete for talent if we don't have these types of perks and benefits. And the, the benefits there were just really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the banks have followed suit because they can't recruit or retain mm-hmm. if they don't. Cheers to the manager for taking and modeling the taking of that leave, too. I just want to say that matters for yeah. the rest of the team. Data shows that after a person in leadership takes their paternity exactly leave, right. more dads will follow. That is afterwards. exactly right. Yeah. And, and you know, the CEO of that company has like four children. And he he I think the last of which was born while he was CEO. And he he did it, too. So you set the tone at the top and then it it sort of empowers others to to follow suit and to take the leave that they are entitled to take and not feel pressured to cut it short or to not take it or am i being a bad employee or not doing a good job or you know whatever if i if i take the full leave that was assigned to them and and just to kind of close a loop with my experience like the mid market banks like where i've worked since i've had kids don't really have a very sort of formal or structured policy it's completely at your discretion slash based on where you are in in a deal or in a client situation or you know whatever it might be and so i think when my first kid was born it was he was born on a tuesday i took the rest of the week off and i was back at the office on monday right so barely a week when my daughter was born we were kind of at the tail end of work from home lockdown like people were starting to go back to the office but wasn't really uh, particularly widespread. And I just started a new job and we were in between homes because we had to sell one and buy another. And we, there was a, t- a time gap in closing. And so we re- we moved out of the city for a couple of months. It was the end of the summer. It was the middle of August. So I think I probably took, she was born August 15th. I probably took the rest of the rest of August off and was working from home. And then after Labor Day, I went back to work. So call it, you know, two and a half, three weeks. But none of that was sort of structured or formal. It was it was all very sort of informal and and ad hoc. And the timing was such where August is quiet and you can take a few weeks off and you'd be taking vacation around that time anyway. So I just sort of, you know, took some informal parental leave and uh, and post Labor Day was back in the office. More evidence for why we need a federal paid leave policy so that it is not patchwork and hodgepodge from company to company. Yes, 100%. Mm. And in the UK, it is, if I recall correctly, for certainly for mothers, maternity leave, six months fully paid plus an additional six months, you can take unpaid and your job is guaranteed, right? And you have it back. So you can get up to a year. And when I, I worked in London uh, 20 years ago, worked at the London Stock Exchange, that's what the policy was. And and I worked with uh, with many working mothers who took took that full one year and came back to work. And it was great. It was uh, it was exactly as it should be. Wonderful perspective, Raul. And, you know, I love what you've brought to this conversation, you know, especially within investment banking and how. Uh, you've lived in different worlds, both uh, the big banks and now in the mid-tier and how that is viewed, uh, and also the international perspective. Uh, Shahed, I'd love what you're talking about in terms of you know early life cycle uh, types of organizations and flexibility. I, th- I think it makes it better for everyone. So uh, that's wonderful. The Parents at Work podcast is proudly supported by two programs, Mindful Return and Ready, Set, Launch. For the past decade, Mindful Return has helped working parents succeed both at home and at work. 
If you're an employer, you know how much it costs to recruit a talented employee. Let Mindful Return help you avoid those high turnover and recruitment costs. With our asynchronous group programs for new parents, we help you retain your new parent colleagues who are returning to work after parental leave. We partner with over 100 employers and have proven retention data. Learn more and sign up for a free program demo at www.mindfulreturn.com forward slash four dash employers. That's www.mindfulreturn.com forward slash four F-O-R dash employers. For more than 12 years, Ready, Set, Launch has been empowering high-performing executives, attorneys, and consultants to achieve their career and business goals. Are you looking to grow your professional services practice, engage your valuable networks, or advance your own career? Turn to Ready, Set, Launch for our interactive keynotes, engaging trainings in both group and one-on-one coaching. We partner with Fortune 500 companies, Amlaw 100 law firms, global executive search firms, and professional and trade associations, among others. Learn more at www.readysetlaunch.net. That's www.readysetlaunch.net. I want to pivot the conversation now, bring out a little bit of the uh, career coach in me. I'm curious, uh, Raul, when you were growing up in Nigeria, what, was your, what would you consider your first job to be and what it meant to you? and What did you learn? Yeah. So my first job, so being in boarding school, you can't really do any work during the school year, right? You're, you're in school. So right after I finished boarding school, I got a job at a clothing store on Oxford Street in central London. If you're familiar with London, Oxford Street is a big sort of shopping district. There's a large department store called Selfridges, which is right, my the store I worked at was right across the street. And I was selling jeans and sweatshirts and shirts and so on. That was right after I basically graduated high school. That was my first job. And then very quickly after that, I was while doing that job, I was training to be a uh, a tennis coach, and I'd played tennis all through high school and really enjoyed it and wanted to sort of find a way to to work in in tennis. And so I I took a coaching certification, and then a few months after, I think I did that job for about six months, and then I was teaching um, teaching tennis at a public center in central London. What do you think you've learned about yourself in those two jobs? In working in retail, you have to learn patience because sometimes you're standing around in the store and there's nobody there and you just have to wait and wait and wait until customers come in and stores at that time, we were starting at nine o'clock in the morning and customers wouldn't roll in till, you know, sometimes lunchtime, sometimes noon, sometimes maybe as early as 11. So you just find ways to keep busy. You're doing a lot of cleanup, a lot of folding, you know, unboxing goods that have been delivered checking on inventory, things like that. Or if it's a day where there's no deliveries and you don't need to do any of that, you're just literally waiting around. And then when you do have customers come in, that's when the sort of the the patience has to kick in. And are they trying on five different pairs and indecisive or are they quick and in and out? And so you just learn to deal with people, right? You learn to deal with different kinds of people and have to, you know, provide service with a smile and um, and be as helpful and as patient as you can be. And then teaching tennis. So at my first job was at a club in London, um, a, a public center where I was teaching handicapped kids. 
And um, it was actually a program to introduce tennis to kids who were hearing impaired and uh, deaf. And I had to teach through a translator, a sign language translator. So, oh wow, um, yeah, it was it was you know fascinating and and so same thing with patients, right? Like you're a you're teaching young children, b you're teaching children who are hearing impaired, and so you have to sort of work with them and also work with your the, the sign language interpreters. That that was a really unusual sort of way to start, but similar kind of skill set, right? Patience and with kids, especially more nurturing, and then also trying to find ways to make it fun. So you got to be creative. And so like that, that was a precursor to my sort of proper full-time tennis job that summer, which was teaching at a summer camp here in the States, actually in, um, in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. So it was a 10 week sleepaway camp, uh, where I was teaching and I ended up doing two summers there. Um, and same thing, like I, I had six year olds or I had 12, 13 year olds and you've to sort of be flexible and adaptable based on the, um, based on the age and the skill level and the enthusiasm. Some kids just, they're not interested, but they're at a camp and so they have to do it. And so you have to find a way to make it fun. And some kids are really interested and really enthusiastic. And so you have to sort of adapt and adjust your approach based on experience level, skill level, enthusiasm level find a way to make it fun, but also sort of inject some discipline into it as well, which was all, uh, all, all very ent- entertaining and, and educational for me. It was great. I, I love it. It sounds like this notion of uh, working, you're working early with kids. It sounds like it's, a, it was already preparing you to be a dad, which. Uh... Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny and it, it is strange because the London job I had was, it was just two weeks. It was just like the Easter holidays where they had this program when kids were out of school. And so I went and sort of, I, I was volunteering. I, I wasn't getting paid there and, and it was just to fill a gap in, in the school calendar and, and uh, have a program for, for, for kids to, to come to. So it was short. The sleepaway camp was, you know, two full months with the kids and then two weeks before that where you're doing training and orientation and so on. And it was, you know, I was 19 and the kids I was living in a bunk with were 12. I was only seven years old and it was not that big a difference. But you have to take that approach of being a substitute parent while these kids are at camp and you're responsible for making sure they all brush their teeth in the morning and you're responsible for making sure that... (laughs) You know, there's some level of hygiene and that they're they know where their clothes are and they go to their activities in the right way. And then I was teaching, you know, kids throughout the day of different ages. And and so, yeah, that that there was definitely some subliminal preparation for, for parenthood in 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 those years. And my, when I was 19 and 20, which was kind of fun. Well, I love it. I, lo- I love those early experiences. Yeah, clearly you understood the importance of patience, the importance of structure, the importance of listening uh, and communicating uh, to folks that are younger than you. So thank you for sharing that experience. Shahed, same Thanks question. Thanks for the trip down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, pleasure, pleasure. That, I mean, that was, that's exciting. I mean, it's it's fun to hear the, the I mean, you have a whole other side of uh of your background and and it links perfectly to today so that's that's fantastic thanks for all uh shahed same question what was your first job what did it mean to you yeah i'm really gonna date myself with this one so when my kids both kind of started exploring the idea of getting their first jobs you know when they were you know in their early teens or 
they asked me the same question. And I said, well, kids, I was a paper boy. And they said, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. I said, well, we used to have this thing called newspapers and people would actually have them delivered to their front doors. And I would, after school, get my bike, put this big canvas bag on it uh, with the name of the paper, the Fullerton, California Daily News Tribune. I would fill it with about 30 or 40 papers that were folded up with a rubber band and I would ride down the street and either flip it on their uh, on their driveways or 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 more carefully put it on their front door if that was what they wanted. And I did that for years, actually. What's really interesting about that is that, you know, I saw firsthand the analog news uh, cycle, how it worked. You know, people would yeah. get those and read the job notices on the in the classifieds or see the sports scores in the newspaper and you know i went on to become you know to do digital publishing and and news feeds and things like that and like you know the, the whole thing just changed so much and now my children you know for their first jobs where you know my my, my youngest was doing you know coding contracts on Fiverr and Upwork and my oldest was doing DoorDash, you know, um, <laughs> both kind of first jobs that just wouldn't have been heard of when I was doing my first job. One thing I definitely want to say is that I, I'm a big believer in kids getting to know early on how to be responsible with money, not just by spending their their allowance well, but actually going and earning a keep uh, and, and, and earning some money through these different ways uh, so they can spend it. It's even extended a little bit. You know, I'm thankfully in a position where I can pay for all of their college, but I actually made both of my kids take the federal loan amount of $5,000 a year and, and take that on themselves because I want them to understand what it means to be responsible for helping, you know, pay for their education and what does a loan mean? And what does paying a loan back mean? I want them to to, to, to grow up a little bit as they're doing that, even though I, again, I could have I could have floated the whole thing. But I think it's really important. And, you know, I think, of course, having having a first job like that as a, as a paper boy where I had to go to doors and I had to ask people for their subscription money. They'd have to give me a check or give me cash and I have to turn it in. A, and like at the end of the day, I would have a pile of cash and I would go to like Denny's and have a, you know, have a Grand Slam breakfast or whatever it is. You know, like uh, that's that 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 shaped me, you know, that shaped me a lot. And I, I actually, you know, when I trace my work in entrepreneurship, you know, I trace it back to that, you know, uh, to that for, cause that was the first time I understood what it meant to do a task and make money and then treat that money responsibly. And that's just, of course, just indicative of how drastically things have changed in just one generation, you know, yeah. and, and, and then particularly when you talk about things like financial services, it's just in the last five years, things have changed dramatically, you know, like, you know, when my, my kids now are like investing on Robin hood and like looking in, you know, playing around with crypto and like, you know, stuff that, you know, I, I'm not, of course, obviously this didn't exist when I was a kid, but I mean, even the, you know, even the scope of involvement didn't exist when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you earned money kind of that old fashioned way. And then for a lot of kids these days, they're actually exposed to a lot of ways that they can earn and possibly lose a lot of mm-hmm. money. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that also requires us as parents to, you know, just, just as we try to help them deal with, all of the dangers and opportunities of social media, the dangers and opportunities of money and the internet, you know, I thought the days of being scammed online were like 
for my father's generation. And my, my father has been a victim of that. And it's been very painful. But I've read recently that even some Gen Zers are falling victim to online scams and things like that. So there's a lot of, you know, you the more you put on, you, your life online, whether it's socially or financially, it's a big risk. And so, you know, I, I don't believe in shielding kids from that. So, you know, part of this journey of being a parent um, has, has included just having these really frank conversations about what you can do and what you can't do. I wanted them to invest. I wanted them to see that their money could grow. But I also tell them like, if there's a strange email and you just worry, no shame, just forward it to me and, and I'll tell you whether it's good or not. But yeah, but it all it all goes back to, you know, bicycling around, flicking papers on, onto, 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 and I think my son says, like old I'll, movies, right? Yes, I'll have you know that you're not the first person who we've interviewed on this podcast whose first job was Paperboy. So I think oh, that's more common in an era, yeah. And the other thing I was going to say is that initially I'm like, oh, well, there must be some similarities between DoorDash and Paperboy. You know, you're traveling around delivering something to someone. But Actually, that's, that's probably true. where the that's where the similarities end. I think, you know, around collecting money. Yeah. So I know we're getting very close to the end of our time together. And I think maybe just for one final question for each of you, I would love to know what is the number one skill that you think that you've gained by being a parent? that is helpful to your career? Rahul, let's start with you. Ooh, um, I think it comes back to patience. Yes. And <laughs> like I manage people at work and quite often they're kids who are fresh out of college. Sometimes they're even interns while they're in college. And when, before I had kids, like I had sort of a one level of expectation and one approach. And sometimes I would get, frustrated or disappointed with how they did things or if they weren't capturing things that they should have learned in training or weren't following instructions in the right way. And then now that I have kids, it doesn't trigger anything or frustrate me in the same way that it used to. So when you phased, yeah, it's, um, (laughs) it's sort of obviously when I I work with kids right out of college, but also people in their late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties, you know, whatever it may be of all ages, but at the at the end of the day, like this is an industry that is continuously recruiting every year mm. um, a class of kids right out of college. And so we have to work with them and train them. So over my 18 year career, I've been working with that same 22 year old. I've been getting older. They're staying the same age. <laughs> like I'm old enough to be their parent in a lot of ways. Now I'm not. Obviously, I'm my kids are much younger because mm-hmm. I started late, but I'm old enough to be these kids' parents. And when I started, I wasn't. So yeah. that kind of element of patience and and nurturing and so on is probably the, the the key thing that I've translated from parenthood to my professional life. Beautiful. Um, so it's so perspective shifting. How about you, Shahed? What's the number one skill that you gained through parenthood that's useful in your career? So I remember when my first child was born, spending a couple of weeks panicking. And the reason I was panicking is because I thought to myself, you know, I was the sole breadwinner in the family at the time. It was a lot less, of course, than I'm making now. And I thought, how the heck am I going to do this financially? How am I going to make this work? You know, I couldn't make the numbers work in my head. I would look back at, you know, of course, the the whole journey of parenthood culminating with college and tell myself at that point that everything will work itself out. Uh, I'm a big believer that if you have the right attitude, resources will come into your life to, to, to kind of fill that gap. And that's exactly what happened. When we look at like our parents' generation, like stability for them meant 
finding a solid job, perhaps a government job, holding on that to the few retire, then you're done. And that's just not the way the working world works for us anymore. I mean, most people I know, they switch jobs every three, four years. And that's actually considered a good thing. It's considered that you're, you're that's how you move up the ladder. That's how you gain skills. That's how you expand your network. And it's not looked down on people. And of course, coming along with that is a lot of instability. I am now comfortable with not knowing where my salary will come from five, six months from now. Whereas when I was you know, a new father, that prospect would scare the crap out of me. But I think, I think you know, the world has changed in that way. I think the economy has changed in that way. I think employment has changed. I mean, the, 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 the relationship between people and work has changed. So I would definitely go back and say, look, you know, you're having your child at a time where we're in a grand flux, which is powered by technology, powered by the internet and, and changing models of employment where, you know, it's going to be a wild ride, but you're going to survive this. You're going to mm. naturally gravitate to the positions and jobs and the networks that are going to empower your lifestyle. And that's exactly what happened. And that's frankly, that's what's happened to, to most people that I know. That's the kind of, you know, if you go into that with confidence, just and just knowing that it'll all work out, I think, and, and of course, use your networks and, you know, it's not just sitting there, just use your networks and, 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 and expand your skill sets and expand the different types of things that you do. I think, I think it'll work out. Amazing. I'm going to channel that calm and confidence in my own life today. Jason, anything you want to say to wrap up? I mean, what a conversation. I am just leaving this with so many great nuggets. Uh, Raul Shahed, thank you both uh, for being on the Parents at Work podcast. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Parents at Work podcast. If you liked what you heard, don't just turn us off and walk away. Please help us get the word out by doing one of these four things. One, subscribe to the podcast. Two, share this episode with at least one working parent, friend, or colleague. Three, if your organization has a parent or caregiver employee resource group, share it with them too. And finally, four, leave us a quick review on iTunes. You've got this, moms and dads.